Hello and welcome to another episode of the Get Football Tactics podcast. I'm your host Neil Shelat as always and I'm delighted to say that I've been joined by Varun Vasudevan. How are you Varun? I'm great. This week was actually quite good for me. So, uh, my Twitter account did well. Rio Ferdinand followed me yesterday. So, I've been having a lot of fun online and a lot of football especially this week as well. We are back after the international break. So, I've been catching up on a lot of football. So, good week actually and i think this is the most i've given uh, an answer when you asked me how 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 i've been <laughs> yeah that's, that's very in depth and that's absolutely the wrong time for it because as we discussed <laughs> right before we started recording we have a bit of a hard cap because i need to go precisely now 52 minutes from this point so hopefully this sh- uh, episode should stay well under an hour as alex has kindly pointed out how are you today alex oh well how am i today what a question. What an answer, Neil. <laughs> I, I, I am fine, Neil. Uh, don't you worry. I will not stall you too much. Right. Thank you very much. Now then, let's dive straight into our topic, um, which is Chelsea Football Club, who for the, the past, I don't know, over a year now, seem to be very stalled in a mid-table spot. Uh, and despite... I mean, whatever crazy amounts of money they spend, which is, I think, well over a billion euros in the last couple of windows, they do not seem to be able to get better. So the question we are asking today is, what is going wrong at Chelsea and who do we blame for it? And to answer that, we will obviously look at a number of factors uh, that explains their issues. And at the end, we will rank the fault of each of these factors. And maybe we'll talk about how we might be able to fix them depending on how much time we have. So that's basically the plan for today. Let us now begin by, well, before we blame some people, let's sort of give people some context about just how bad they've been. Because, I mean, I, w- I was doing some research on this and this has surprised me too. So now, last season, uh, Chelsea finished 12th, as we know. Uh, nowhere near the race for Europe. Like, absolute pure mid-table. And even if we look at their underlying numbers, they were pure mid-table. So the, at, at the end of the season, according to FB Ref, which is how you say it, um, their expected goal difference was minus three. And that would place them between Aston Villa and West Ham, who obviously finished in two different parts of the table. Um, but ultimately, that is to say that they were extremely mid-table, as I said. Uh, now, this season, of course, there's a lot of talk about their underlying numbers, which we will probably discuss in a little bit, li- uh, a little bit later. But I think it's worth pointing out that there was a stat recently going around on Twitter from Robert O'Connor who said that Chelsea's points per game over the last 35 matches, which is almost a full season, average is 0.8. So they're getting less than a point a game, which obviously if you get less than a point a game for 38 games, you get less than 40 points, which is supposedly the magic number for relegation, although that's not always the case. But in any case... That's relegation form. So, now we know that Chelsea are really, really bad. Uh, And we know that last season, their underlying numbers were also bad. This season, they have been, I mean, significantly better. Um, I mean, obviously, much smaller sample compared to that. But at the same time, you do have to caveat that against the fact that they've also played against generally weaker opposition. They've had a bunch of sort of relegation contenders already. They've played Luton Town, Nottingham Forest. Bournemouth, 
uh, Aston Villa who are not that very good at the start of the season. So it, it's, it, it, I mean, you can't read so much into it after just six games. So I think we have established now that Chelsea are very bad. So now let's start blaming people. Um, where, so I just where had uh, oh, you have a hand few more. I didn't see. Go on. No, no issues. Uh, so they, the main team did not manage to score a goal last month, which is why the goal oh, yes. of the month is being handed to the under-21s. And as you said, in general, this season, the only time they have scored goals in double digits were Luton Town and AFC Wimbledon in the uh, Carabao Cup. Other than that, they've just not managed to score more than a goal. And in three games, they've just blanked out. So, goal scoring in general is a huge issue. And even if you see the second half of last year, the only times they really got uh, two, three goals were Leicester City, Everton, Bournemouth and Nottingham Forest. Like in the last 17 games of last season, these were the only four games in which they scored more than a goal. So I think the problem is pretty clear. I mean, the style that you laid out was uh, very obvious. In the last 20-25 matches, the only time they have actually dominated possession, scored a bit, created more than 1-1.5 XG and got more than a goal is against very, very much lesser opposition. So there's a genuine problem in getting things going tactically for sure. Yeah, I was just reminded of that tweet from Domino's, which I've just found, which says they had delivered... 852,609 pizzas since Chelsea last scored a goal. This was uh, on the 24th of September. Obviously, Chelsea did finally score in September in the Carabao Cup, uh, uh, like uh, in the last game of the month against Brighton, the one goal. But I imagine by then they probably crossed like 900,000 pizzas delivered. So not 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 an ideal stat to be to be getting from Domino's. But good think, for yeah. Domino's, not good for Chelsea. <laughs> yeah, good business for Domino's, not good business for Chelsea. Um, but yeah, I so I think we've safely established that they have been really, really bad. Um, so now let's start blaming people. Who wants to blame someone first? I think Warren has the board down, so he's going for the big one. Uh, Warren, how are you going to blame the board? So my the moment I think Chelsea's issues, the first point that comes to my mind is when Todd Bowley took over. And that first window itself, the the window last year, basically, um, it was crazy. I mean, they got in so many players, and Graham Potter for half for most of the season when Graham Potter was struggling, I actually empathized a lot with him, and I kept saying, I I put it out on social as well. I kept saying that he's being given an impossible task because the board's team building logic or transfer logic seems clueless and I still don't get it. Um, my main issue is the first contention, the biggest issue is how do you just buy so many players and put it in a team and then expect them to gel in any meaningful way and expect a manager to coach them in any meaningful way. Like throughout the season, we had so many issues of backroom staff injuries. Then even something as simple as just putting out logical squads, uh, naming, uh, you know, uh, uh, 18-man, 19-man squad, uh, naming his best 23, training for the best 20-22 odd uh, players. There were some players who did not have space in um, the facilities at the ground. I mean, so my first big point comes to what is the logic of, you know, putting in so many new players? We have seen this in history when Spurs sold bail and used all the bail money and got a lot of players. There are many examples. 
the moment you get a lot of players inside a team at least for a long time it just doesn't work everton i think uh, did this with the lukaku money as well there are lots of examples so that is where i think the first big blame towards the board goes to what do you guys think yeah and just to quickly add to that it's not as if they're sort of only signing like young talents uh, uh, not i shouldn't say young talents but like sort of i mean this is a bad phrase to use but like hidden gems which aren't really hidden but you know the sort of players who aren't really that hyped um as we said they've spent over a billion euros in the last couple of seasons um as i i mean through very rough counting i've counted 29 signings in the last couple of windows and that includes some you know crazy money ones like enzo fernandez 121 million euros moises caicedo about the same so now it's it's not as if they're just signing like sort of it's not like they're just making brighton type signings and then hoping to see some squad come together they are investing crazy amounts of money and when you invest this much money i mean i'd i'd expect that you have to be pretty pretty sure that that investment is going to be worth it but they simply do not have as you say the squad building to make anything work and it's completely clueless and i struggle to think of what sort of justification there is behind this absolute madness the best i can come up with is that these people think that they are smarter than everybody else uh, in in football management and they think that hoarding all of these players will somehow enable them to not only have a successful team but also maybe like flip them for a profit in the end which again i mean i is i have no words to respond to that but that is the best sort of justification i can think of but i think alex has something to add so what do you think alex well, i have a couple of things there first of all i think there are things to back up <clears throat> the latter part of your statement i believe it's been reported in the media numerous times they can't chelsea view these players as investments as a business um rather than like additions to a football team and obviously that's part of the reason why they've bought Strasbourg they're interested in buying a stake in Sporting or to link it all together and send their players there and yada 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 and I think you guys are spot on the board I get the feeling when we rank these there's not going to be much of a debate uh so I'll put out something maybe interesting I think the the group the the section here who have the least blame who would argue are the victims are the players I think they've been ham-fisted by this approach um obviously you know it comes a point where there's Lugo Chukwu's start uh, signing and like oh no even that Romeo Lavia's signing for Chelsea fully aware that Leslie Chukwu's in his place and Andre Santos the Brazilian guy so like you know he should be aware that it getting gates up why are you going there man <laughs> yeah exactly that um but like I feel for players like uh, Caicedo, I feel for players like Enzo Fernandez, who we'll touch on when we talk about the manager. I think who you know some of these players have been brought in. Um, I'm not, I think there are a couple of players. We've got the transfers uh, on my right hand side, on my right hand screen. I'm pretty certain there were players brought in like under Thomas Tuchel, like Sterling, Kikarea, Wesley Fofana, like these players, right? And, you know, they're still there. And it's been two managers, like Tuchel, now now through Graham Potter, and now Mauricio Pochettino. And all of those managers set up in very different ways. And it's like Enzo Fernandez, 
is coming came in as like a uh, an eight, then was used as a six by Graham Potter because he didn't really have a choice, and then now under Pochettino has been used as a ten because he doesn't have super much of a choice. Although we'll touch on that. Uh, see, I think that when we go to rank these, who's at fault? I think the players. I think Chelsea, I think the easy thing is to say, oh, the players aren't performing. They've been given the least stable platform to perform. Yep, I th- I think that's and that's something that's been echoed for almost the last year, right? When discussing Chelsea players, whether it's signings or players leaving, is that you simply cannot assess their performances over the last year to get any idea of how good they actually are, just because of how unstable an environment they found themselves in. So you you know obviously they've not been performing great, but the point is that there isn't an environment for them which enables them to perform great. So it's really hard to blame them. And I think as an extension of that, unless Warren has something to add on the players, um, I, I, I think we should also, I mean, I would sort of lean towards putting the managers on the victim side of things almost, because I don't, I mean, especially the, the last two, right? I don't imagine, especially Graham Potter, it didn't seem as if he had a lot of say in, in the transfers coming in. Right? I think there was that one press conference where he was like, I don't know what's going on or something. So, I mean, he he found himself in a really tough spot where the club was basically signing infinite players. And he had a squad of like 40 people. Um, and, <laughs> I mean, no one knows what to do at that point. And there's a bunch of injuries and all that as well. And so with just so much instability, there's, I mean, I, 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 mean, I just don't know how you can set up like a consistent team with that. And I think Porter also realized that. So, you know, while at Brighton, they were playing all that intricate passing and build-up and sort of positional systems and blah, blah, blah. At Chelsea, just, I mean, he ultimately sort of went down to like a basic 4-4-2 and told the players, you know, do what you want. Because he realized that there was no way for him to implement an intricate system when every day there was someone new and every day someone else got injured. So, you know, with that in mind, I think it's hard to blame the managers as well. And yeah, yeah, I think as Warren alluded to uh, earlier, you know, I was, I mean, I was quite sympathetic of the situation Potter found himself in, and I would say that if there was someone who properly understood the situation, I don't think they might have necessarily sacked him. But maybe that's a different debate to get into. But yeah, Warren, what, what what thoughts do you have on this? Yeah, I mean, totally agree with what both of you said, and this just comes back to. Um, like a simple logic when it comes to team building or any strategy for that matter. If you look at the pieces individually, let, let's just go one by them. Enzo Fernandez is one of the best playmakers in the world, no doubt. Skycedo is one of the best, um, you know, defensive midfielders who can also receive kind of person. Madhueke is a very good under-23 right-winger. Mudrik is debatable, but then a very good under-23 left-winger. Individually, these are good pieces. I mean... If you added an Enzo Fernandez in a team that just needed a left-sided, you know, all-phase playmaker, he would have been amazing. If you added a Kaisido in a team that just needed a right-sided six, who can also receive, amazing. Graham Potter, again, individually, we know he's a good manager. We've seen what he did at Brighton. It just comes back uh, to the point that you can put in a lot of really good individual pieces, but if, if they don't sync, if there's not a system where they link, then it doesn't work out. It just comes back to the point that this is not team building. Team building is not just going out and getting good pieces. It's first having 
a larger philosophy how do i want to play what's my playing style or what's my you know player development am i relying on youth am i relying on the uh, academy am i buying stars am i buying a few stars and then a few youngsters around it and what kind of football do i want to play so therefore what kind of manager do i want so therefore you know it flows like that that is the abc of squad building and in this whole mess i think we we've all realized how important that is i mean there are so many clubs who have missed this manchester united have also been screwing this up for about 10 years they don't have that abc on philosophy then manager then players who fit it and chelsea have just done uh, i don't know five years worth of manchester united uh, stupidity in uh, one and a half years they've just like it's a whole drugged up version of what united do with a lot more money so it just goes to show, and we we've seen in pockets other teams also struggle at this you know everyone's uh, struggled at some point uh, because of this and then they realized it got a good director of football got a philosophy stuck to it for a while and that's how clubs uh, solve but yeah in this day and age after spending a billion getting the very very basic premise of your footballing strategy wrong it it looks really bad on a big institution like chelsea Yep, absolutely agreed. And I think maybe that's also quickly touch on this season and Pochettino specifically. Um, two things come in mind. Um, one, you know, as as I as we discussed earlier about sort of the underlying numbers, I think based on expected points or something, they're currently like fourth in the league. So that's led to some people arguing that oh, that's nothing to worry about. But as I said, you have to look at the teams they've played after just six games, and so considering all of that. I would say that Chelsea have once again performed at a pretty mid table level at best upper mid table level I think. Uh so again that's simply not good enough for some a team I mean of Chelsea's stature in any case given you know like the fact that they've been competing for titles in the last decade and also the fact that they spent a billion euros which means that even your B team should easily be good enough for top 4 at least you'd hope after spending that much money. So you know with that in mind as we've said there's a lot to blame for the board but i think there's a couple of other things we don't need to touch on as well i think both of you have your hands up i don't know if varun is still the previous hand but alex definitely has a new hand so alex thoughts ha suck it varun um yeah i i wanted to say that i think pochettino does deserve blame this season uh, i i think while he is a victim of the board in a sense and the players that have been put into his hands and he's made recent comments saying he'd like more control in January which implies he's not had much control over the summer um i think he's made baffling decisions uh this window i, I he, he has been hamstrung by the injury of Christopher and Kunku he based his entire pre-season round however playing as Fernandez as a 10 has been like batshit confusing and no one gets it and it The, so the logic I mean, we discussed it obviously before the logic is put him in a higher position on the pitch he could receive the ball and like put it quickly in behind for a forward but he's just getting marked out of the game and if it, we we all agreed like this is not his optimal position he's just being put there because you know Pochettino can't find another solution uh, except Cole Palmer looks pretty good there so hopefully he does that um and the other confusing thing is like his insistence on like Levi Cole as a left back I guess the idea again is that he's very good. He's quite athletic and can play center back and play left center back uh at Brighton and um subsides at the back three and the year before 
uh, when he was on loan in the Championship, I want to say Huddersfield. Um, he's a left centre back then, really good in a back three. Brighton played in a back two though, but like he it basically the point I'm getting to is with um, Ben Chilwell's injury. Um, he was asked how's he going to cope, and he said, "I've got good backups there in Mark Kukurea and Levi Colwell." Uh, so it's funny that he put Levi Colwell there, and it's also funny how he didn't include Ian Martinson, who played the entirety of last season at left back for Burnley, who he's used as a right winger at Chelsea. But there's just so many weird things that he's doing, and it, it's not to say they might not come good. It's just it, he's a manager who has come into a tortuous club to a fan base expecting a lot from him, which we'll touch on, of course. And he's also an ex-Spurs guy, so he's got a limited amount of patience. And if you ask any Chelsea fan, I'll say, yeah, Pochettino, when he's given time, but he is not helping himself at all. Um, so, yeah, I think Pochettino, Pochettino's bizarre decisions uh, deserve some blame, certainly more than the players. Uh, you've both got your hands up, so I'm waiting for a wrath. Neil, I think we should give it to Varun. Baron, yeah, no, just uh, quickly. I, I agree. We, we no, 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 no,
Colwell, I think the logic behind him playing left back is again he's a very good passer. He's a very progressive passer. He can play those passes from the left, you know. So they're thinking I can utilize that weapon a little more ahead than you know sticking him at, at center back. No one's thinking build up. If they were thinking build up, if they were thinking patiently, uh, you know, creating systems, Colwell would play center back. Enzo Fernandez would play the deeper, you know, left-sided six. And then when you have them, then you go like, okay, I can build up, I can keep the ball, I can, you know, uh, go in a slow and intricate way. And it's okay now and then if goals don't come, but once we master this, we'll be unbeatable, we'll keep the ball better, we'll progress better. That is not the attitude right now. So, I mean, I do agree with some of Pochettino's decisions being bizarre, but again, I think it comes back to when you put people in such bad situations, they end up doing reckless things because they don't have any time. There is no time for patience, neither from the fans, neither from the board. So, yeah, I, I think that's the genesis of a lot of baffling decisions Pochettino has taken and Potter also uh, have taken. What do you think, Neil? Yeah, I think you've summed it up pretty well. Uh, I agree with your points on Colbert and Fernandez particularly. But just want uh, to add to what Alex said on Matson. I think that's the one place where I defend uh, Pochettino because while he did play left back for um, I mean, the whole time at uh, Burnley, he was like a very overlapping attacking left back for most of the game. So I mean, he'd he'd basically be high and wide left, like sort of like uh, Alejandro Balde for Barcelona, right? Now, I don't think he would do well in this sort of deep left-back role where build-up, I mean, you're you know playing from deeper a lot more. But I do think that instead of being a right-winger, he should be a left-winger. So, I mean, it's sort of replacing like Chilwell. Um, but I think Alex already has his hand up. So, Alex, let's fight. Oh, no, no, no. That's, that's fair enough. Um, um, I, I don't, don't worry. <laughs> I, did, I didn't watch Burley last season, but like, I just saw every star left back in a four at the back and just assumed it was like, you know, you're playing a traditional left back. This is a bit mental being on the right. Um, it's good to get an answer over that. However, I I would like to make a prediction that Pochettino doesn't last the season. Um, I think he's I think he's going to do well. It's, in, it's interesting what Varane was talking about as well, about the fans. I think him and Potter are like two sides of the same coin where um, like Potter explicitly mentioned like, he wanted to go. He, he wanted to do the basics and just wanted to get everything, get everyone in a decent position and do basic things. Whereas Pochettino's like answer to like the situation is, I'm just going to do mental things and see if I can get a result. <laughs> but I don't think we've seen any. I haven't personally seen much evidence that he's learned to break down deep blocks, which is what his downfall was at PSG, which is what his downfall was at Spurs, and instead we've seen what he can do well, which is win the ball, get a team to press well to make higher regains. Uh, they got that for their goal against Brighton. Uh, they did that well against Liverpool. I think they're going to do that in their tougher fixtures that are coming up that everyone's making a meal of. Like Weirdly, I think he's going to do okay against the likes of Man City, Man United, etc. But the greater proportion of the league is based off teams who are going to sit deep against Chelsea. And I think it's those teams who are going to beat him. And that's why I keep saying it to my Chelsea supporting friend, uh, Lawrence Viscoli, uh, a YouTuber you should check out. Like, Chelsea are the new 2010s Arsenal. Like, they just constantly get tripped up by weak sides, and it's just going to wind their fans up and up and up. And I think like that, that, that'll that be Pochettino's downfall again at Chelsea. I, mean, you know, I think, they'd, doom- I think they'd be really happy if 
like the 2010s Arsenal, they were coming fourth every season. I mean, that right <laughs> yeah, now that, seems that is what, very fortunate. That's what my friend's counter was to my point. He was like, actually, we're worse than that. But like, it's as off the field, like pandemonium. It's like that sort of anger, but probably times two. Uh, yeah, that is a very negative prediction. I hope he does well because Pochettino seems like a likable man, even if you've seen the thing recently about him loving lemons. Have you he guys seen lemons? <laughs> yeah. yeah, he's an absolutely <laughs> mental man. Um, but, but yeah, I think I think Pochettino will end up taking quite a significant amount of blame. Um, but we've mentioned the fans. Maybe we should transition into them. Do we think? How much do we think the fans are at blame? Yeah, I think it's. I mean, it's tough to sort of attribute like an exact proportion of the blame to fans because it's, I mean, I guess it's a bit tough to sort of understand just how much of a direct impact they have on decisions made. Although I'm sure sort of their I mean, lack of you know, support would also have an impact on performances and ultimately the pressure they create does eventually translate to the boardroom. And I think on that point, um, as I think someone mentioned a little bit earlier, they are, I mean, Chelsea fans are generally pretty impatient. I mean, you know, the club has a reputation for ages, for decades, uh, of just sacking managers and you know, being a quite trigger-happy in, in, in that uh, sense. And to add to that, in this specific instance, um, with Maurizio Pochettino being an ex-Tottenham manager, that impatience is a little bit heightened as well. Um, so I think th- th- there's one part is that impatience, but I also do think there's... Um, a little bit of expectations because you know fans might look at you know we spent so much money we have all of these very good players and we have these good managers you know but as we said it's not that simple you have to understand sort of how it's all coming together and they're doing it very badly so i think in the, in the case of potter i think it was ultimately just you know the expectations weren't right and and i think that's what led to him going but i think warren has his hand up so, do you have anything to add? Yeah, just to add on to your point, I think Chelsea fans come from an era where the Abramovich era, where the business side of things were actually good. The director of football side of things were also decent. I mean, the team building was a little better. And once those are in place and investment is good, then it's a little easier to put pressure on the manager and fire a manager when they're not doing well. It was just a little easy in the previous setup for Chelsea fans to go, okay, we've given everything to the manager and the manager hasn't delivered. He goes, someone else comes because anyone else, if they come and they get back, they can do better. And with this philosophy, Chelsea did a lot of manager changes, but they kept winning something or the other because to a large extent, the team building was still logical. You know, they were still building good teams for each manager, at least each manager when they came in whether it's Mourinho, Conte, anyone. Within one or two years, they got a lot of players according to how they wanted and they would at least win something. The problem is now that attitude is carrying in this era, even though the angle of the board is not the same. There is still that, oh, the board has invested so much, so the manager has to get the results. And if they're not, we'll sack them and another manager will come in and get the results because the investment and the quality of players is great. So... The same attitude is being carried into Bodhiara, even though the team building is actually not good. People are not able to differentiate the difference between money spent on a bad strategy versus money spent on a decent strategy. So I think this is where the fan impatience is coming. And 
there were there was talk Potter himself said that he wants to build a long term thing here. Somewhere I think Chelsea and Chelsea fans needed that momentum shift. I don't think what they were doing was sustainable. The whole back the manager like crazy and then sack them in two three years. The the one year they drop a bit. I don't think that was sustainable. And I think especially if you're looking at clubs now, you know which are the clubs that are doing well. If you see Pep or even Atletico Madrid under Simeone, anyone. it's keeping a manager for a long time building according to them having a lot of patience that is what is going to lead to a, a dominating era so i don't think the way chelsea were functioning in general was very sustainable so i think fans will have to start thinking okay we can't really you know think like that anymore that lot of investment lot of pressure success el sack i don't think that uh, that holds holds good anymore uh, and even in the near future i think that attitude will have to change Yep, absolutely. Completely agree. And I guess you know, finishing twelfth a couple of times will probably change expectations towards the sort of long term thing. So it might be good in the long run. We'll see. But anyway, I think last thing in terms of blame, we blamed a lot of people and a lot of sort of individuals, organizations, whatever. But as we've alluded to a bunch of times, I mean, they have been pretty unlucky with injuries. I think Warren, you've got some stats uh, on that front. So yeah, I mean, I'll just I'll just quickly Indians. roll it over. Last year, I mean, there's there's an excellent article on the Analytics FC website called "The Cost of Injuries," and it's like a very simple analysis when it comes to Chelsea. Injuries cost forty eight million. Chelsea are the highest. Uh, top ten most expensive accumulative injuries almost ten million uh, on Engolo Kante alone. Six uh, million on Reese James. Four million on Fofana, three and a half million on Raheem Sterling. So there are basically five Chelsea players in the top ten. Um, injury cost as a percentage of wages, Chelsea are highest. It's twenty four percent. That's how much they spent on uh, injury prevention last year, uh, or cost of injuries in general. Team outfield player availability, <laughs> Chelsea were the lowest. They had the lowest amount of outfield players available. Games missed due to players, two twenty. Two hundred and twenty games were missed wow. by players last year uh, from Chelsea, and the main reason behind this seems to be the behind-the-scenes change. Again, it comes back to see because we keep saying uh, squad building, team building in terms of players. There's also a whole technical angle in terms of staff, and I think that was also one thing the Bully administration really screwed up. There was a massive exodus of backroom staff. A private company was brought in. and there were in between on a contract basis physios and medical people that were working and it was just a whole mess so it was almost running uh, you know chaotically and to a large extent that continued until the end of last year it's starting to settle now but i just wanted to highlight that point chelsea have been very very bad with injuries again because of a problem of their own making the chaotic squad building has also shown in the staff building um whatever you want to call it you know the technical staff uh, acquisition and ins and outs there that has also been very badly managed and that has shown in fitness and injuries as well again i mean we just keep seeing to come back to points they just board the blame again uh, blame the board so yeah i think this is another point right then let's board the blame uh, i i guess last thing let's rank um that sort of the the factors or the, or the people to blame so we've got five things right 
We've got the board, which I imagine will be first for everyone. Then we've got managers, players, fans, and then we've got like other things, including primarily, I guess, injuries, right? So who wants to go first? I guess let's just rank um, in order. Let's not get into percentages. But I think Alex has his hand up. So Alex, yes. let's have your blame list. Uh, I would go the people with the least blame the players. Uh, yeah, I feel like this is really going to be the same for everyone. People at least blame the players. Um, third least blame the managers. Second least blame, uh, then second most blame the fans, and the most blame goes to the board, who have caused all of this. Actually, I think there is a debate to flip the board and the fans around. Maybe one of you two will do that. Uh, at that way, before we do that, where are you putting injuries and other things, or are you not blaming them at all? Um. Injuries and I, I put that down to luck. I think I, I think the board, the managers, the players should all be like part of dealing with injuries. Uh, like I saw an amazing tweet the other day. It was from um, Sean Dia LFC, the, the Liverpool account, and he said, "Todd Bowley is the worst owner of all time. How can you spend a billion euros and you're like and be put in like European cities on the bench?" Like I, I, I think injuries are bad luck, but a good team prepares for them, and and also I think a good team has better. Facilities. I was thinking about this last time watching Dortmund v Hoffenheim. Like Dortmund's team just looks so ragged. I remember Haaland there getting injured all the time. He goes to City and wouldn't you know it, he's absolutely golden. So I think injuries you can roll into the board and the managers. Uh, like it's their duty to make sure that like, doesn't impact the team or not, and they failed. Fair enough. Warren, uh, let's have your ranking then. Yeah, I mean, I really like Alex's point on injuries and fitness. That is a very club thing. Um, Holland is a very good example. In general, City's injury prevention is world-class. Even Akanji had a lot of injury issues and he just played all year last year. Um, they, they, and the reason is clear. Their facilities, the uh, level of expertise they place on diet, on physiotherapy, on recovery... They have a lot of good facilities and a lot of good professionals. And Pep has multiple times said this in press conferences. They have spent well on that area. And they focus a lot on that area because he knows he needs his players fit for anything. And Haaland especially, he gave a whole conference on how his diet, his daily actions were limited. Even his sleeping pattern was worked on by a sleep psychologist. So injuries aren't as luck dependent. I mean, obviously, if you are, you can, you know, get a twist or a break anywhere. But 90% of it can be controlled. So when clubs like Chelsea or even United in the last few months, when they're struggling with so many injuries and they're bemoaning luck, I do think they need to you know, take a look again. And it goes back to the setup, the board, maybe partly the manager as well. So I'd put injuries there. So yeah, quickly turning my ranking, I think it's 80% board. Uh, there is no doubt on that. I am very empathetic for the players. I'm just going to say zero for players. Uh, manager 10%, fans 10%. Okay, interesting. Very kind on the players. Um, yeah, I, I personally, I think I completely agree with you guys. I think, honestly, Alex, I think everyone has to blame the board on this. I think if, if you say fans ahead of board, nah, I mean, you can't, you can't have that. So I think I agree with Warren. 80% Can I make that devil's argument then? Devil's advocate argument. All right, go on. Well, I think the... Chelsea fans, I think some of some of them pre-season were talking about challenging for the league. And I think that's like 
a fundamental issue. Like that, if your match going fans have like ridiculously high expectations, then it means it, like if you don't get fourth, which is let's be honest, pretty reasonable. They're go- especially in a climate right now where you've got Newcastle, City, Arsenal, Liverpool up there, and Man United up there. Getting sixth is probably fine. That is this next step. But you know if Chelsea gets sixth, it'll be hammered still. It'll be like we're still miles off. I think as long as their fans still believe that they're they are Chelsea and they can win everything and we're the best club in London, we're the best we're the best club in England, we are footballing royalty. Like, why should we have to sit down? Why should we have to have a project? Like as long as those as long as the fans have that mindset, like that no one's ever going to satisfy them unless they got in Pep Guardiola, who just like was a miracle worker, which will touch on how I think we fix this. But um, yeah, I, I think and it, to make it clear as well, like the fans, they shouldn't feel guilty for feeling like this because it's what they've been fed, right? They've been fed trophies for just under 20 years, the, the consistent trophies on a consistent basis. They've been, it's been proved that you can do it, but there's a, there was a really good stat um, that I worked on for a video recently. Before Todd Bowley took over, under Roman Abramovich, would you like to guess how much the club were losing a week net? A week? A week. Uh, okay, so tamper your um, expectations a little bit, a week. Yeah, it's not a lot. I would say, hmm, I have no idea. I'm going completely blind. Two million, nah, is that much? Two million pounds? It's a how bit much. much. Yes, I'll come out of six. Five hundred thousand pounds. Five hundred thousand. It was nine hundred thousand. Ah, so I was gonna guess one million actually. Yeah, which doesn't sound like a lot, but every week over nineteen yeah, years, that's where they were losing that on average per week. And it's like, I think the Athletic wrote like, unless Chelsea were taken over by an oil baron, that simply could not be kept up. Like the only reason it's kept up by was by Abramovich's like finances. So, you know. It, the the fans are still in the old Chelsea mindset, which and I don't really feel I don't think they realise that that it's just they can't do it anymore. It's just not realistic. Um, so I think that that if someone's put fans first, like that would be the argument. But I I still stick with you guys. I think the board is the 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 issues of the board have not been very good. <laughs> it's, it's it's been like how not to run a football club. Yeah, and I think sort of to, I mean, I, I completely take your point on the fence, but yeah, as you say, you would put the board first because ultimately, if the board were competent, then you wouldn't have the issue of the fans in the first place. Like, you would still probably be challenging top four and, and that'd be like, it wouldn't be so bad. You, you do also have open communication. Um, Like, just quickly, there's yeah, they've got a new CEO in who's been making cuts to save this money and like one of it's included cutting oh, yeah, coach. The- yeah, kind of yeah. coach subsidy program, which annoyed fans, raising ticket prices across the board. I think like the women's game prices have doubled, like from like sixty pounds to one hundred and twenty pounds, like most expensive. Like they've just been, and they've raised all the food prices at Stamford Bridge. Feels like they're just going about things the wrong way. Yep. Right then, did I do my rankings? I don't think I did. So yeah, a board eighty uh, percent. I would go fan second, um, then managers, then players. So that is. That I think you already said this, Alex, so I don't need to explain it because largely agree. So last thing we're going to do, and we're going to have to do this quickly, is how do we fix Chelsea? So now everyone's going to get a minute and a half to fix Chelsea. Who wants to go first? 
let's start. I'll, I'll go. I'll go first because a minute and a half is classic Neil poor timekeeping. And if you two go <laughs> first, then you'll get to ten o'clock and you go. Okay, thanks, Alex. We can go now. Bye. <laughs> Fair uh, enough. All right. I'll, 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 I'll do it starts. in a minute. Oh well, wow. go on. All right. Now. Yeah. Start. Okay, uh, I don't think that can be fixed. Uh, I'd say the only way you can do this is if you have someone who's basically a miracle worker. In the same way, Brighton would only be derailed by an individual slash individuals who are extremely poor and below the standard who bring everyone down. Like, if Deserby goes and they bring in a terrible manager, then that will be enough to bring them down or if they, they Tony Bloom sells up or whatever. But the system in place is going to bring Brighton up. Whereas Chelsea, the system in place right now, like we've all we've discussed, a system, I mean, the fans, the players, everyone involved, uh, it's bringing the club to mid-table and the thing that will need to push them up is a superstar like season from like Cole Palmer and Nicholas Jackson and a superstar season of management from Maurizio Pochettino. I think that's what it takes to fix them. Um, but personally, I feel like it's still just too toxic. It still needs a few years before they sort it out. And like I said, uh, I, I kind of don't think Pochettino will make the season. Um, so yeah, uh, my answer is typically negative. I don't think they can be fixed, but if they could, this is how. A minute and 10 seconds. So you didn't live up to your promise, but well done. Uh, okay, Varun, your move. Your time starts now. Largely agree with Alex. I would say just right off this season. Nothing is going to be fixed in one or even two years. First step, stop buying players. I know it sounds simplistic, but literally just stop buying players. You already have enough players. Either they're on loan or they're on the bench or whatever. Just utilize the players better. Spend time with them. Give Pochettino the whole season. Tell him he's not going to get sacked no matter where they finish. It's a risk, but I think it's a risk Chelsea have to take. They're just going to repeat this cycle. Give him all season. Even if he comes 17th, it's okay. Keep him. Give him time. Tell him we don't care about results this season. We want a good playing style. You know, two years from now. Work with what you have. Um, even if there are gaps, rely on the academy. They have an amazing academy. They've just been selling academy to fund the team and then buy stupid players, make stupid signings. So, it's just not working. Stop buying players for a while. Rely on what you have. You've got a lot of wonder kids figure out systems. The few who don't fit will get sold in a year or two. Then it will start making sense. Um, I think they need a lot of time and a big write-off for a while. And give Pochettino time, give the players time, and it can still work out. Well done. Um, about a minute and 15 seconds. Brilliant. Uh, right, that puts pressure on me. So, I, I think I largely agree with what you said, Varun. I would argue that, you know, you might, there's this sort of write-off thing. I would argue you would be better off doing that for Graham Potter even. But, I mean, that's all water on the, under the bridge. So, yeah, I think, um, yeah, basically, yeah, there's no quick fix to this. It needs a complete change in approach right from the top, from the board. And I don't know, I mean, I don't know how they're going to change. So, realistically, you know, we like we can say, we can tell the board that, hey, stop buying players. But I think we know that's not actually going to happen because I don't think they've learned. So, I think realistically... I don't know what's going to happen. Like, unless there's for some reason a boardroom level change, I think Chelsea are going to have a long, long few years coming up. And yeah, as Alex said, you know, you might get a miracle season in there from a player or a manager or something. But from a long term point of view, they are going very much in the wrong direction. 
and i don't know how you can turn that around with the current system in place so i think just remove the system is your best chance however you do it but yeah anyway that's that's very optimistic of all of us so great stuff guys i'm sure we'll get great reviews from chelsea fans after that um but i i i think that is all we have for today so thank you very much for listening um you can find all of us on twitter i'm at shailat neel varun runs the at devils dna account which has just crossed 15000 followers so well done to him and apparently he's been followed by rio ferdinand as well as he said so very cool stuff and alex runs the at your expert account which i think has a bit more than 15100 followers uh 15,000? 15,000 followers. But anyway, well done, Alex, uh, in any case. Uh, right. You can ov- obviously also find the uh, Get Football accounts by going to at GetFootballEU, where we've linked all the sort of league accounts in the bio. And of course, do uh, follow all of our outlets uh, where we will be keeping you updated with all the news from football all over the world, as well as analysis, uh, opinions, and videos um, covering, yeah, as I said, sport across the globe. and especially in in the top english leagues so you can find links to all of that uh, in the description or the show notes depending on what app you're listening to this in and of course if your app does allow it please do rate the podcast even if you're a chelsea fan maybe give us uh, a good review because i do think we made sense um and yeah of course feel free to share it uh, on on social media as well but anyway thank you very much for listening thanks to you guys for joining and we will catch you again next week bye bye